Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Welcome to Redemption. So glad that you're here today. Hey, if you are joining with us online, we just want to say, especially to you, welcome so much, uh, or thank you so much for joining and uh, hanging out with us today. Uh, my name is Corey Ball, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption, and, uh, and so thanks for, thanks for coming and hanging out. Uh, hey, I, I want to uh, take a moment on the front end of the sermon before we get into uh, our Simplify series, and I just want to address something that obviously happened this, this past week. I think, you know, as a pastor, it's a really interesting, thank you, Casey. As a pastor, it's a really interesting um, role that I play because I think uh, for many of you, you look to me to be um, leader in more areas of your life than uh, I believe. For others of you, uh, you don't look to me to be a leader in anything other than your spiritual life. And, um, and so it's, a, it's an interesting thing because for some of you, you're going, hey, will you speak into this a little bit? For others of you, you're going, hey, you're not a political pundit. Would you, would you just stay out of it? Um, and I think there's some truth to both of those. And so uh, as, as a pastor, I kind of play this role and I toe this line and I try to do it with grace and I try to do it with wisdom and I try to have measured responses on, on everything. Um, it's, it's a very intricate place to be. Uh, but I, I, I do believe that, um, you know, I'm not the leader of everyone outside of this church. So for me, if you were looking at social media and things like that and like waiting for Corey to say something, um, I, I didn't. I'm sorry I let you down. Um, and, uh, but I think that's okay. I'm not the leader of everybody in the world, but I, but I do feel leadership over those that, that attend redemption and call redemption home. And so what I want to do is just take a moment to chat um, as a family about this. And, and, and here's the reality. The reality is when it comes down to the, the events that transpired uh, this past week, um, there are people, great people, on on you know the the, the uh, uh, you know the left side and the right side, they have very strong opinions about this. I'm not going to get into the weeds of of this, but one thing that I do want to talk about um, is the scene that we all saw on Wednesday had Jesus' name plastered all over it. And wh- whether whether you know everybody had that intention or not, I don't I don't believe that was the case. I don't think everybody that was at the Capitol uh, was doing so in the name of Jesus. However. There were many flags there that said things like Jesus saves, um, make America godly again. These things were being done in the name of Jesus. And what I want to do is just look just briefly at the idea that there are multiple kings all throughout Scripture, many different kings, from, from the beginning, uh, which the very first king of, of Israel was King Saul, and then all the way through to the New Testament, we see King Jesus. And what I want to do is is just look at this, that we have King Saul, who was always for the power grab, always for the fight, uh, just led with paranoia, fear, anger, was a murderous king. And then we have King Jesus, humble, and meek, 
We have a king that never, uh, never called for the power grab. He never called for the coup. In fact, an entire nation of, of Israelites were looking to Jesus to overthrow the government and, and, to, and to, you know, uh, come in, uh, you know, with the coup, right, with the insurrection. And, and he failed to do so. He didn't fail to do so. He succeeded in not doing it because his purpose was not to overthrow a government. And so when we, when we look at Jesus, the, the same Jesus that on the night he was betrayed, Peter takes out his sword and cuts off a soldier's ear. And what does Jesus do? He essentially picks up the ear and puts it back on, right? He heals the man. And he tells Peter to put his sword away. That's the king that we follow, right? And so the only thing I want to say in, in comparison to we have King Saul, we have King Jesus, one is for a power grab, one is for a kingdom that is not of this world. If, if we are placing anything above our Christianity, then that ideology ceases to become Christian in its very nature. It's Jesus plus nothing. And so, um, if in our life, just hear this, if we are going to do anything, quote unquote, in the name of Jesus, you better be sure it's coming from Jesus. And um, as, we, as we go through this series, Simplify, I want us to consider how can we simplify everything in our life. Last week we talked about time. This week we're going to be talking about money. Um, next week we're going to be talking about impact. But as we, as we think about simplifying our life, how do we also simplify our outlook on two kingdoms? There's an earthly kingdom and there's a heavenly kingdom. And when we make decisions politically, uh, financially, relationally, in, in any area of our life, how do we fight for the heavenly kingdom? By following Jesus, his humility, his meekness, laying down our life for our brother and sister. And, um, and how do we continually uh, turn our heart toward heaven in a way from the things of this earth that would pull our hearts away from Jesus. If you want to talk about this further, I mean, I don't know that I have more to offer you, um, but, I, but I can do that. Um, but I think that a lot of things in this world politically cease to be political only when we put the name of Jesus on it. And, uh, and then it enters into the spiritual realm that we need to have a conversation, you know, as, as Christians. So... Uh, today I was talking to someone, and we were having an incredible conversation. And we didn't agree on everything, which was cool, too. And at the end of it, uh, this woman, she said, the world needs more of this. And I was like, absolutely, yes. We need more of this and less of this, right, or this. So, um, yeah. Well, we are in our uh, week two of Simplify and here at Redemption. And uh, again, if you're joining us online, uh, thanks for sitting through that. And uh, thank you for um, being here with us today. So week two of Simplify, we're going to be looking at money today. And before we even start, I just want to say this. 
I know that the moment that you heard, okay, this week's sermon is about money, your blood pressure started to go up, right? Like, like all of a sudden, you got a little more tense, maybe more tense than, than the, you know, the, the conversation uh, previously about uh, Wednesday's events. But, um, but the reality is that we have an actual term about money and, uh, or, or about anxiety around money, and, uh, and it's called the money stress disorder. I don't know if you knew that. So it's, it's something that's been kind of, uh, not identified, but just kind of given a name more recently. And the reality is that those who experience money stress disorder, they uh, experience hypertension and, and blood pressure at such a high rate that they have heart attacks at a, at, at a, at a very measurable uh, higher rate um, than those who don't experience financial stress or money stress disorder. And also, uh, they're, they're at a, a far greater likelihood of having a stroke, okay? So, like, I mean, these are things that, that, that really impact our body. And so, um, you know, for, for, for my marriage, I know often we'll bring up money and, 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 you know, one of us clams up. I won't tell you who it is, but one of us clams up, and, uh, and it causes stress, right? And so that's, that's often a thing. It's a reality. I don't want you to feel that here tonight. I don't want you to feel stress I don't want you to feel anxiety. What I want you to do, everybody together, I want you to put your feet on the, on the ground, both of them, both of your feet on the ground in front of you. I want you to put your hands on your knees with your palms facing the sky. And I want you to take a deep breath together. I want you to sit like this as I read this. One time, Jesus, he was talking to these crowds, and he says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And my burden I give you is light. When we follow Jesus, we follow this Jesus. We follow a Jesus that is gentle, he's humble, and his desire is not to place burden on you, your life, your shoulders, your mental, your emotional. His, his, his goal is not to give you burden. His goal is to give you rest. Not just rest for your body, but rest for your souls. And so my prayer for us today is that uh, we wouldn't feel stressed, we wouldn't feel anxiety, but we would we would have a moment of clarity. We would walk away with conviction, understanding, and a plan of how to be more obedient to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we come to you looking for rest. Our entire life is, um, is rushed. It's... Um, Everything we do is, is running from one appointment to the next. Um, Lord, we, we don't take Sabbath seriously. We don't provide margin in our life for you to work, speak, and move. And for that, um, God, I just want to confess our sins to you. God, I pray that today as we talk about money, I pray that our blood pressures wouldn't rise. Pray that um, I pray that we would be in tune with you. We would have a, a, a moment of mental clarity with you. That we wouldn't feel shame, but maybe we would feel a healthy level of conviction. 
And Lord, I pray that we would be able to move forward um, ready to be more obedient, boldly obedient to you, not just for the sake of obedience, but for the sake of seeing your kingdom grow here on this earth. That's all it says we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, I grew up in a very uh, simple household in the best of ways. Um, I grew up, when it, come, when it comes to financial uh, things, it was a very, very simple outlook. Uh, we, we, we lived by this budget. It was give, save, live. Okay, so, so 10% of, of your, your money went to the church, uh, went to God. And so you would give that. You would save 10% or so, sometimes more if you could afford it. Uh, and then you lived on the rest, give, save, live. And uh, what that meant is that we didn't always have vacations. Uh, we didn't always have, uh, you know, new things like throughout the year. Um, but what that also meant was that we had this crazy security. You know, we had this like, uh, this, this, this rock solid security. I knew that there was never going to be a time that I didn't have food on the table, uh, no matter what happened. I knew that there was never going to be a time that the electricity bill wasn't paid because I had this security that we were living by the way that God would have us live, that we give to him, he'll take care of the rest, you know. And um, it was interesting, I, I went to college, and then uh, what I found out in college was that not everybody lived that way. Uh, I had friends, and some of them, their families had very, very serious financial problems. And uh, one of them in particular, I was hanging out with them, and, uh, and they had shared with me that, that their parents' electric bill back home just got shut off, uh, or, or the, the electricity just got shut off. And, uh, and I, you know, said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And they're like, yeah, my, my parents can't pay the electric bill. And I was really confused. There are people that, due to their financial situation, truly struggle with that. And if anybody in this room does struggle with that, or if anybody watching online does struggle with that, give us a call. We'd love to help you out. Uh, we believe that God has called us to be generous and to help those in need. But what was interesting about this case was the week before, on a Saturday night, I was with that person's family, and uh, Dad paid for seven tickets to a movie theater, and uh, popcorn and soda and candy for everyone. The bill definitely totaled more than $200 there. Just before that, we went out to a sit-down restaurant, a very nice restaurant, and paid for all seven people's meals. And, uh, and so the reality is that bill was probably $350, maybe $400 where we went. And so I knew this, that, that at $500 to $600, uh, you know, spent on entertainment the week before, I knew that uh, when it came down to it, there's no way their electricity bill was more than five or $600. And so as a freshman in college, I legitimately was confused as to why they couldn't pay their bills. And what I gathered and I realized is that not everybody lives by give, save, live. Many of them live by live, 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 right? And that's a very simplistic way to run your budget. It's not wise, but it's also just as simple. Uh, but it gets you into a lot of trouble. And uh, this, isn't, you know, this is one household characterized by these, uh, the, these choices, these bad financial decisions, um, but that's not, that's not the, you know, the, the, the case is it's not just one family. It's America as a whole. Like, we all struggle with this. Did you know that in one weekend, one weekend on Black Friday, or Black Friday weekend, we spend uh, more than we give, or just under, rather, uh, what we give to the church for half of the year, collectively as Americans. In one weekend, we spend just under what we give to the church for the rest of the half of the year. In a recent 
year America uh, or Americans spent $57.4 billion on Black Friday weekend, and we gave $103 billion uh, to churches over the course of the whole year. Um, so just over, actually, um, what, what we give the other half. Which, it, it's an interesting stat, because if everybody who claims Christianity uh, is, is in that, and everybody who, in America who claims Christianity, which I don't think is always a very accurate number, but uh, if that's the case, then that $103 billion, that uh, broken up, ends up being about $30 a person every month. And, uh, and so I know that at the end of the day, uh, we make more than, most people make more than that. And uh, what, what, what it comes out to is that we would be giving 0.8% of our actual um, income back to God. Okay, like, like we, we can't even get a one in front of the decimal, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, left of the decimal. So, so 0.8%. Here's a couple more stats that represent our financial situation in America. In America, um, 40% of food goes to waste. In America alone, we allow $165 billion of food to be wasted every year. Globally, get this, uh, uh, malnutrition affects 161 million children, 161 million. Um, and, uh, and also, by the way, HUD reports that roughly 553,000 ho- homeless people live in America. So with the, number, with the amount of food that we waste, we could literally feed just, just, just the food that we waste in America. We could feed every single child who's struggling with mal, uh, malnutrition and every homeless person, okay, all across the world. We could literally solve the world's hunger problem with the food that we waste in one country. Uh, this is crazy. America's children uh, population or child population, it's 3% of the world's children live here in America. Okay, 3%. But we have 40% of the world's toys. 3% of children in the world live in America, but we have 40% of the world's toys. Homes uh, in the U.S. on average contain more TVs than people. Just a crazy stat. Uh, The average household has more than $7,500 in consumer debt. 40% of Americans uh, cannot afford an unexpected uh, unexpected expense $400 or more. Listen to this quote. This comes from, from a book. Uh, it says, designed to find ourselves satisfied through a worshiping relationship with the infinite God, we have instead cultivated an infinite desire for finite stuff. And that comes from a book that I would highly recommend you check out. It's a book called Practicing the King's Economy. And so uh, this idea of, you know, what would Jesus have us do with our money? What would God have us do with our money? Practicing the King's Economy. It's an incredible book, and it's, it's really just been uh, changing for me in so many ways. See, m- money is thought to be the answer in our culture, but the conundrum that we can't answer when it comes to money is why with a collective rise in income, also we experience a collective rise in substance abuse, domestic violence, mental illness, and suicide. These are all things that are on the rise with those who are wealthier and wealthier. I think Biggie Smalls uh, was onto something. He was more of, a, more of a philosopher when he wrote his 1997 song, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Uh, we experience that. We feel it. It's real. And we know that generosity causes more of an endorphin and dopamine 
uh, connection in our bodies than purchasing a new home, a new car. And so, you know, uh, I think you've, you know this, I think you feel this. Whenever you have the opportunity to give and to bless and to be generous to someone, you feel better, you feel happier than you do when you buy something right off the shelf, brand new, right? But what's interesting is Americans who make a $10,000 or who make $10,000 a year or less, they give on average 11.2% of their income away. That's pretty good. Okay, so $10,000 or less, they give away 11.2%, while those who make more than $150,000 give only an average of 2.7% of their income away. So it's an inverted table. We're going the wrong way, right? We're going in the, the wrong direction. And so we have this bad relationship with money. It's such an interesting thing because it's, it's like a toxic relationship in real life, a toxic dating relationship. We know it's bad. Uh, we know that there's another way. We know that there's, there's a better option. There's a more healthy way to live our life, and yet we stay in the toxic relationship. We sit in it. And, and hear me. Hear me on this again as I prayed. I'm, I'm not saying this or I'm not saying these things for us to experience shame. What I'm saying is, is uh, I'm saying these things so that we can, we can step back, we can, we can identify the things that are going on in our life, right? And, uh, and we can have a moment of mental clarity and move beyond this toxic relationship that we often have with money. And we cannot love others the way that Jesus calls us to love them when the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to give to this person. Or I want you to give to this church. Or I want you to give to this cause, but Visa card won't let us. MasterCard won't let us, right? Our bank accounts won't allow us. Even though we're able, uh, we're we're not able because uh, of our consumer debt and other things that have trapped us financially. And and let me say this to be clear. If we're going to follow Jesus, we give him everything. If we're going to follow Jesus... He doesn't, he, he doesn't get 80% of our life, and we get to keep that 20%. He gets everything, and that includes our bank accounts. And so when we, when we consider what, is it, what does it mean to follow Jesus, we have to consider our finances. I love this quote. It comes from the early church about 100 years uh, after Jesus' death. This man, Aristides, uh, wrote this. He wrote that when a Christian became poor and the church as an organization had nothing to spare, they, the individual Christians, they would fast two or three days for him. In this way, they could supply any poor man with the food that he needed. I love this because this is the generosity that God commands of us. This is the way of living that God commands of us, that we would be uh, sacrificial, right? Um, That we would have the sacrificial love for other people, that we would give up the things that we own in order to see other people taken care of. Um, And I just got to say before we go further into this, that at Redemption, I'm, I'm being serious about this, we do this. We really do. Again, like I'm not saying these things, um, you know, to shame us. What I'm saying uh, we, um, you know, some, some people ask me one time, they're like, hey, you know, you're, you're not going to be a church that preaches about money, like, all the time, are you? And my response was, we'll, we'll preach about money the appropriate amount of times. What's interesting is Jesus talks about money more than anything else. And why? Because he knows that it is, it is something that grips 
our heart. Like, as we're talking right now, some of you are like, don't go there, bro. Like, don't talk about it. It's something that grips our heart. And so, yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're not going to shy away from the things that Jesus didn't shy away from. But, but, but I have to say that, that at Redemption, like, we're doing this. I just want to give you a couple stories um, of generosity. When, when Craig was saying, hey, like, you know, Redemption is a generous church, he wasn't joking. Uh, he's being serious. Um, I, I've never been a part of a church this size that has shown this amount of generosity. Over the holiday season, we had a couple families that are connected to Redemption, some that attend in person, some that attend online, and, um, and, and there were some financial needs. And we had other families in the church that connected with us and said, hey, you know what, like, we want to give cold, hard cash to people in this church who are experiencing hard times. And, and, and the, the thing I hate about being a pastor, I actually do, I really hate this. And I'm never not going to hate this. There's just no answer to it. I just really hate it. I'm always going to hate it. Um, a lot of the stuff that I do has to remain somewhat secretive. Like, you can't see everything that I do. And I hate that because I get to see miracles. Like, I get to see incredible things. Um, there are people that every single week, um, when, they, when they, this is the true story, uh, as you can tell, um, that every week I see a gift come in from them. And uh, I sit in my office and I cry. And um, because I know that, that they have financial struggle in their life, um, but they live by give, save, live. And, um, and so uh, what's incredible is I get to take this money and I get to bless these families who need it. That's generosity from this church, just thinking of others, right? Uh, not, not just thinking of themselves, but thinking of others. Um, there was a, a family with dental needs, and, and the, record, the, the, the bill came out to like $1,000 or just shy of it. And uh, there was another family that found out about it, and they came to me and said, hey, we want to cover the entire family's dental needs, like cover it all, just pay for all of it. Um, there's a separate, separate family that had about $2,000 worth of medical um, expenses coming in. And, and here's the thing, like, we have a benevolence budget, right? Like, we have money as a church to spend on these things, but $2,000, probably not that much, right, like, uh, at that time. And so what we did is, is I just connected with a couple families around them that really knew them, and I said, and I, by the way, I got the family's permission first, but I connected with a couple families, and I said, hey, I would love to bless this family. I don't know that we can cover all their medical bills from the churches budget, but I would just love to bless them. Is there any chance you would want to give to this? And we never had to touch the benevolence budget, because in six hours, $2,000 was raised, and I got to give it all to them. Like, this church is generous, and when you give to redemption, you're giving to this. You're giving to a church that is taking care of one another. I love this verse. It's in Galatians 6.2. It says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. And I can legitimately say that we do this. So as we're going into this series, the Simplify series, and we're looking at Solomon's words, and, and, and really like most of the sermon's already done in so many ways, uh, we're just going to look at his words, and then we're going to look at some other words in scripture real quick, and then we're, we're done. But um, what I want us to do is I want us to ask a couple questions, okay? So, so listen to these questions, view these questions, let me know what you think. Ask yourself these questions before we go into Ecclesiastes. Do I trust God with my money? Did I give generously to others as I was able in 2020? And did I bear the burdens of my brothers and sisters in Christ 
in 2020. Okay, before we go any further, when people come to me, I talked about this a little bit last week, but when people come to me and they go, Corey, I just want, I want to grow in my faith. Like, I want, to, I want to be a deeper disciple. I want to be a better apprentice of Jesus. In 2021, like, I want to be in the Bible and I want to do all these things. And, you know, it, it sounds great. This is what I say. I say, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, tell others about him and trust him with your money. Start there, right? Tell others about Jesus and trust him with your money. Because these are the two things that Jesus, from day one, he tells the people who believe in him and on him in scripture, he tells them, hey, go, go to the synagogue, right? Like, like pay, pay to the synagogue, the, 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 you know, the, the taxes and all the things that you're back on and all these things. Uh, you know, hey, sell everything you have and, and, and give it to the poor. He, he says all these things financially. And then he says, hey, go, go tell others about, about me, right? So, so tell others about Jesus. Trust God with your money. Okay, next three questions. Ask this before we get into Ecclesiastes. Now, what is my relationship with money? Is it overall healthy or overall sick? Okay, overall healthy or overall sick? I think we're pretty good on, on uh, understanding if we have a, a healthy or sick outlook on money. And then what do I believe the purpose of money is? This is a really good question. What do I believe the purpose of money is? And then the third question, uh, what, what if I could, or, or sorry, if I could achieve great things with the money that I have, what would those things be? What would those things be? Uh, someone I know and, and love, he, he's, uh, he's, he's got some money. We all have some money, right? He's got some money. And he says, uh, he says this, before I die, I want to see a million people come to Jesus. A million people. And what I've seen over the last couple of years is he takes his money and he purposes it toward those ends. He, he doesn't, doesn't give to things that aren't uh, working to bring a million people to faith in Jesus. And so what is our purpose? And if we, could, if we could achieve great things with the money that we have, what would those things be? Okay, let's turn to Ecclesiastes. Let's go to our, our Bibles or, uh, you know, on our phones. But let's go to Ecclesiastes. And we're going to go to chapter 5. <clears throat> we're going to read these, these, uh, these words from, from Solomon. Again, wisest, wisest man on earth. There's a reason that we look at Solomon, because he had it all. And at the end of his life, he writes this, this book, Ecclesiastes, and uh, we get to see what, what, what are his, his outlooks on things, and, and um, you know, what, what is his wisdom around these things, and, and how should we prioritize our life? Okay, verse 8, <clears throat> don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful, and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up, and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profits. Verse 10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. <laughs> Uh, so what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? I can't tell if this is melancholy or comedy, you know? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There's another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty as on the day that we were born. 
we can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People have, uh, or people leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing. Like working for the wind, throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Even so, I have noticed one thing, at least, that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them, and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and in the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. There is another serious tragedy I have seen under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want, but then he doesn't give them the chance to enjoy these things. They die, and someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth. This is meaningless, a sickening tragedy. And then in verse 9, as we conclude with this, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. So I want to give us a rundown real quick. These are the eight things that come from this, that this Solomon teaches us. He, he teaches us that money can be used oppressively. Duh, right? Come on, Solomon. Like, we all get that. I think we've seen that. Two, money isn't a level that you win or it's not a race that you finish, right? He says that those who love money, they can never get enough. It, it, it's an ever-moving, always-moving finish line. It, it's always, uh, you know, th- there's these famous studies that have been done over the years where they ask people who made $2 a day, and they, they said, hey, what, what is it, you know, f- for you, uh, what, what does it mean to be rich? And the person says, well, man, if I could just make $3 a day. And then they ask the person, hey, who makes $3 a day? Hey, what, what does it mean to be rich? And they're like, man, if I, could, if I just made $10 a day. And it never stopped. It continued all the way until they hit these people who are like multimillionaires. And they're like, what is rich? And they're like, oh, I'm not rich. If I was a billionaire, I'd be rich, right? It's an ever-moving finish line. Number three, money doesn't bring you happiness. Duh. Number four, if you have money, other people will flock to you to spend it. Duh. Have, have you seen like the... the, the um, uh, the lottery people, man, it's awful. Like, their life, everybody's around them trying to spend all their money. Uh, with wealth, number five, with wealth comes great burden. Um, they can't sleep, right? It's like a burden on their, on their lives. Number six, hoarding riches harms the saver. Number seven, God gives wealth. And number eight, uh, enjoy what we presently have. So Solomon talks about this, and he gives this really dismal outlook on money. He doesn't really give us anything that's new. Like, we all get this. We all understand these things. Duh, duh, duh. Like, for the wisest man in the world, it doesn't take a ton of wisdom to realize all these things. That money doesn't bring happiness, and those who love money will never get enough. And, and people who are rich, it's a burden on them. And, and people just want to spend your money. Duh, 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 duh. Right? Okay. I want us to contrast that with the words of Jesus. I want us to still ourselves to, to relax, to, to not fidget as much as we can. And I want us to listen to these words from Matthew chapter 6. This is a selection from, from, these, uh, from this chapter. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. <clears throat> 
where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, for they will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat and what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And so the difference between Solomon and Jesus, what's the difference between the words of Solomon and the words of Jesus? Solomon, he's the wisest man in the world. The Jewish people still believe to this day that next to Jesus there was never another person and will never be another person as wise as King Solomon. But Solomon's not Jesus. And so when we look at the words of Solomon and the words of Jesus, what is the difference? The difference is perspective. If you notice, you can go back and read it later. Everything that Solomon said was about money here on earth. It's an earthly perspective of money. And Jesus comes in. I love this moment in the Gospels where it says Jesus was in the synagogues and he taught as one who had authority. Unlike any other religious teacher of their day. And so you have God coming in and he's teaching this heavenly perspective about money. God comes in, Jesus, and he's teaching a different perspective, one that Solomon didn't have. And so I want us to ask these questions as we close. What is my relationship with money? Is it overall healthy or overall sick? What do I believe the purpose of money is? If I could achieve great things with the money that I have, what would those things be? The difference between Solomon's words and Jesus' words are perspective. Earthly versus heaven. heavenly. And the bottom line is this. Is your money being used as a means to an end or has it become the end? Is money being used as a means to an end to see spiritually dead people awaken to the life that they could have in Jesus Christ? Or is it just used to buy the new car or, or the new drip, the new swag, right? Is it used to buy the new house, the new second house, the new third house, the new... What is our goal with money? Man, I, I want to say at the end of my life, that my money in some way was used to bring X amount of people to faith in Christ. 
to, to, to set their souls in a place where moth and rust cannot touch them in the heavenly realms. And so the question is, our money, is it, is it used to buy things that are going to end up in a landfill at the end of our life or pass down to our children and they're going to auction them off because they don't care about them? Beanie Babies. Remember Beanie Babies? Hello, 90s. There's this incredible uh, picture. Um, it's, it's in the 90s. It's in divorce court. And there, there are, uh, it's, yeah, some of you are shaking your heads. There are trash bags of Beanie Babies spilled out over the court floor. And they're dividing them to see which household is going to get the collection of Beanie Babies. So that financially, thousands of dollars on some stinking plush toys could be divided. And guess what? I guarantee you, 90% of those Beanie Babies that were on that divorce court floor in the 90s, they're in a landfill somewhere. It's meaningless, Solomon would say. It's a sickening tragedy. And so our money, is it used to echo through the halls of eternity to see people who are spiritually dead without any hope in Jesus come alive in Christ? Or is it used to fill landfills? My prayer for us, my prayer for me and my prayer for us is that we wouldn't look to Solomon for wisdom on money on this issue. Because his, his perspective falls short. But my prayer is that we look to Jesus to find a heavenly perspective. Uh, Father, I, I just pray that you would work in our hearts. Um, I know that change in our lives, it, it starts in our hearts and in our minds. So Lord, as I was speaking, um, and your Holy Spirit hopefully was speaking as well um, to us. God, I know that, that we felt levels of conviction. Uh, I believe that the people who come to redemption, not only do they want to be generous, but they want to be obedient. And so, Lord, whatever you are calling us to do as a church, and whatever you are calling them to do as a church, Father, I pray that they would do it. Uh, your word says in, in the book of James that to, to him who knows what is good and doesn't do it, it is sin. And so, Lord, we know that when you are convicting our hearts, when you're calling us to do something, God, we're called to do that. And it's sin when we don't do that. So, Lord, whatever you're working on in our hearts, and I know that every individual is very different, but whatever you're calling us to do financially, Lord, I pray that we would submit to that, not so that the church can have a greater storehouse of money, but so that we can see people come to faith through the use of that money, that, that, that our money can be used to bring people to heaven with us. We can't take the money with us, but the souls will be there that we use the money to influence uh, through connecting with and loving them and, and serving them. And, um, and so, God, I pray that, that, you would, um, that you would give us a heavenly perspective on our money. And, uh, um, Lord, I pray that it would start today. And I pray that changes would start tonight. Make us more like you. And so it's as we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.